Building influence is something anyone can learn. It's an investment you can make in yourself and it can hold the keys to achieving your dreams and having the life and impact you want to have. I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. I've learned a lot over three decades about building and sustaining influence and how using it and using it effectively can make a big, big difference in your life and career. Here on She Said, She Said podcast, we're digging into the different dimensions that help us build and sustain influence. If you thought being an influencer was just for social media, think again. Whether you're starting a business, raising money for a cause, negotiating a promotion, running your household, or trying to connect with those who don't share your views, understanding and using the different dimensions of influence will increase your chances of success, whatever your goals may be. Listening to She Said, She Said podcast is a smart, efficient investment you can make in you. I'm really glad you're here and I'm excited we're on this journey together. Hey friend, welcome to the podcast. In this Encore episode 253, we're continuing our conversation with time management and productivity expert, Laura Vanderkam. If you missed part one of this conversation, please be sure to go back and download the episode. That's episode 252. Now to recap, Laura and I dive into her latest book, which is called Tranquility by Tuesday. Her focus is not just getting more done and helping us get more done, but getting more done while also bringing greater calm and ultimately more joy to your life and also helping you become more present for the people and priorities that are most important to you. We dig into Laura's nine core time management concepts and we tackle a few alternatives to age old time management practices that might not be serving you as well as they could. So friend, here is part two of my two-part Encore conversation with time management and productivity expert, Laura Vanderkam. Okay, you make a real distinction between what's happening in the moment and then what's important. Maybe talk about these two concepts and how they sort of underpin a lot of this book. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the reasons that I want to get people in the habit of planning on Fridays is I want them to shift their mindset from planning being just about what is happening to what is important. I think a lot of times when people do think about schedules and planning and all that, they're like, okay, well, my my schedule is I have these four meetings tomorrow, right? And that's fine. You do. But, but why do you have those meetings? What are those meetings accomplishing? Like what goal is being advanced by your attendance at that meeting? I mean, hopefully there is something, like hopefully that's happening for a reason. But you wanna be aware of what that is. Like are these meetings advancing you toward goals that you, know, you or your organization have um, and, and how are they doing so? And as for how you spend the rest of your time, it's not just I'm checking email, like I'm answering my email. Okay, well, what are you doing? with your email like are you is this response somehow moving things forward toward a goal that you or your organization may have um and so getting people to really think about what is important for the week as opposed to just like what is happening this week i mean i could tell you what's happening this week the kids are going to camp and you know i have to turn in this assignment but what is most important as I am doing this week? Well, maybe it's that, you know, this child has a camp show and she'd really like her siblings there. And so I need to organize everyone to get to it. 
Um, and, and to have that happen and to know that, you know, she can feel that her, um, you know, what she's doing is, is valuable and that we are all supporting her. That's a little bit different than focusing just on logistics and, and things like that. Yeah. Not all tasks, not all goals are created equally. We have lots and lots and lots of things. And you just ticked off a number of things that might fall in the category of maybe sort of smaller tasks, things on your to-do list that don't require super deep thought. Maybe talk about the difference between those things from a time management standpoint and how you recommend tackling them. Yeah, one of my rules is to batch the little things. Um, and what this means is that we, we often wind up with a lot of small tasks on our schedule and we can't necessarily get out of them. Um, you have to do it at some point. But the problem is people tend to do them whenever. Like they do them when it occurs to them, when they see them, when they're bored with whatever else they were doing. And that can distract you from thinking about bigger things or having longer periods of open time when you might have been able to concentrate on something more intense. So I ask people to come up with a small window of time in which to batch these little tasks, which there are ways to learn to identify them. I have you know, a list in, in the book of how you can you know, figure out what is a little task. But for many people, it's things like you know, paying bills or responding to invitations or um, you know, quick non-urgent non responses to things, filling out forms, um, you know, buying things. Scheduling. They, yeah, right? what, all, the, all that <laughs> stuff. Um, and so create a window for those that's not your peak time. Uh, so. I try to batch a lot of stuff on Friday. You know, I, I plan on Friday afternoons, but some point on Friday, I work through what I call my Friday punch list. And that is when I, you know, pay bills, I respond to non-urgent invitations. If there's something that's on my list that I, you know, need to do, but I haven't done during the week, that's when I'll try to do it. Um, you know, but, you know, many people can't push everything off till Friday, but you can designate, say, 30 minutes in the mid-afternoon, which again, it's not your peak time. Most people are you know, have more energy in the morning um, when they'd be better able to focus on bigger stuff. And and so just give yourself a window, say 1 to one thirty, when you're going to respond to all that stuff in one fell swoop. And then it's not cluttering up your schedule the rest of the time. You're not sitting there in the middle of, you know, figuring out your biggest business problem, being like, oh, I've got to go fill out that form for HR. Like, just don't do that. Don't do that to yourself. You, you deserve to really spend your time on the things that matter. Yeah, yeah. And it really allows you to get into that deep thought in a way that when you're constantly pinging and ponging from one thing to the next, it's just it's almost impossible, especially if you're doing really focused work, which we all have to do at one point or another. Um, there were uh, one of the other things that I especially loved and that really resonated with me and that I think will so many people listening is the stories that we tell ourselves and these false narratives that we somehow sometimes have running through our heads about i'm so busy i'm so busy i'm so busy and i'm sure that legitimately you are i am whatever but maybe talk a little bit about those false narratives and how they might be code for a couple of other things couple topics that we oftentimes talk about on this podcast. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, we can cling to the idea of, of being busy and having no time for ourselves because, you know, it's sometimes it's easier than deciding, well, maybe I do have time and it won't be perfect, but I could make it happen. Um, one of the narratives that I talk about, one of the rules is three times a week is a habit. So I encourage people to 
identify whatever something is that they would like to do, that they may be doing some, but are feeling like they're not doing as much as they want, and aim to do it three times a week. So one common example is something like family dinners. Like people talk themselves into this narrative of like, we never eat together. And then you, you track time for a week and you realize, oh, well, actually we did like once or twice, right? It wasn't, you know, sit down Norman Rockwell style roast every evening at six o'clock. But, you know, it did happen once or twice during the week. Say, so, well, great. Can we get to three? Like, could we just, you know, build in a third family meal in the course of the week? And if you can, well, three times a week is a habit. All of a sudden we are the sort of family that's eating together. Um, or people, you know, would have creative aspirations, but we're maintaining a very convenient narrative that as busy people, you know, with big jobs, raising families, they had zero time to do their creative pursuits. And the reason this is convenient is because then you can keep these sort of perfect ideas in your head that you just don't have time to do, as opposed to actually doing something uh, for 20 or 30 minutes, three times a week, that's going to be probably terrible in the first approach, but we'll get better over time because we all get better over time. So it's easier to, you know, lament the perfect paintings that you are not creating in your head than to actually sit down with your paints and do something that's kind of crappy, um, you know, when you've got 20 to 30 minutes to do it, but at least then you're doing it, right? And, and yeah. some people just really don't want to do it and accept the mediocre. They'd rather hold it off as the perfect, which is not happening. And, right. you know, we can unpack a lot of that, but yeah. I encourage people to think, it's okay to do something small and not that great. At least I'm doing something. It will get better over over time. Yeah, that, that whole theme really resonated because, you know, those are topics. Perfectionism and imposter syndrome come up on this podcast a lot. I was curious if you found a difference between your female versus your male um, responses for this particular book as it relates to those two themes. Well, I think we all suffer from this to a, to a certain degree. And, and I think many people can tell themselves that they're not doing X, Y, or Z. Um, and certainly, I mean, men have hobbies and things they would like to do as well. Um, maybe it's different things that, you know, society will tell you is, is important to do. But I, I think everyone has stuff that is important to them in life and that they would like to make time for. Um, but you know, find that they're maybe not doing as much as they want. But what I want people to see is that there is a big difference between not as much as I want and none. Often, how often things are happening in your life is in fact, not as much as I want. But not as much as I want is something that can be changed, right? You can scale it up a little bit and, and having a goal like three times a week feels very doable. And that doable practical aspect um, can allow, you know, really any kinds of people to, to make progress on their goals. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about this concept of wasted time <laughs> uh, and how you talk about that in the book. It's pretty easy to know if you're you know, binge watching a show. Okay, maybe that could be considered wasted time, but maybe give us some insights on how we should think about wasted time. Yeah, I mean, in general, I, I feel like when you're spending time mindlessly, it is easy to waste it. And I don't mean like staring at the clouds, you know, thinking deep thoughts like that that's great like there's uh you know a wonderful john keats program poem ode on indolence where he's like lying cool bedded on the flowery grass looking up at the clouds and you know i had people send that to me being like see we should we should waste time i'm like i got, I got no problem like john keats lying on the grass we should all look lie on the grass looking up at the clouds the problem is we don't do that we sit there looking right. at twitter like people insulting each other on twitter which is a very different thing than yeah. staring up at the clouds thinking deep thoughts so um, 
I, I think that the key is whether you are spending time mindfully on the things that are meaningful or enjoyable for you or the people you care about. Now, nobody hits 100%. Like, nobody spends all their time on that. Um, but the more, you know, the higher percentage of our time we can spend on that, the better. Um, and, and one of the rules sort of sort of gets at this, um, you know, that it's still with, with leisure time. But the idea is that we can upgrade our leisure time and spend it on things that are truly more meaningful and enjoyable than, than the mindless phone scrolling that, that many of us engage in. Um, and this rule is effortful before effortless. Hmm, um, and that. so challenge yourself when a spot of time does appear that could be leisure time to spend just like two minutes doing something that takes a little bit more active engagement um, than just scrolling around on your phone. So it could be reading a book. Um, it could be something like doing a puzzle, doing a Lego construction, a hobby, um, you know, taking photos, drawing, um, you know, whatever else it is, but something for just a couple of minutes. And then you can do the, the effortless stuff for the rest of the night if you want. So, you know, if we're like the time the kids have gone to bed, like you have a choice, like, are you going to start, you know, binge watching stuff for like five episodes in a row? Well, you can, but before you do, like read five minutes in that Agatha Christie novel that you've been like putting off forever, just five minutes and see what happens. Uh, a lot of times people keep reading because whatever they're reading is actually enjoyable. So they want to you know, keep at it. It's just they got to require, you know, get over that slight extra hurdle of right. energy to, to make it happen. Um, you know, but even if all you do is read 10 minutes and then binge watch five shows, at least you have both in your life. Whereas if you start with the binge watching, you're never going to stop in the middle and, you know, read your novel. Um, so better to do the effortful stuff uh, first. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, you also take on the two minute rule. A lot of people adhere to the two minute rule, which is essentially if you can do it in two minutes, then just go ahead and do it and get it out of the way. But you say maybe not. Maybe talk a little bit about why that might not be such a good approach. Yeah, well, this this um, gets at the idea of one of my rules is to batch the little things that we were talking about before. And so these two minute tasks are by definition, the little things. Um, and so many people would say, well, why should I do this? I have this two minute rule. If it takes two minutes, I'll just do it. I don't want to batch it. I don't want to maintain a list and do it some other time and have to get back to it. That seems very inefficient. It's like, well, maybe, but, but hear me out here because one, like, are you sure that's only a two minute task? Like most people are really, really bad at time estimation. Um, and, and so, you know, you think it's a two minute task, but in fact, it's longer. Or it can boomerang, right? Like that you you think it's only gonna take two minutes, but then it's like, oh wait, I need a printer and my printer's broken, I gotta go get ink. And it's like, it just keeps going on with this. <laughs> Third, you can very easily get distracted once you take yourself away from what you intended to do with a certain period of time. So let's say, you know, you've carved out an hour to work on this client proposal. And then you just get, for whatever reason, your, your colleague is able to reach you and she's like, can you send me X? And you're like, well, it would only take 30 seconds to send my colleague X. Um, so let me just go in my inbox and do that. But whoa, wait, now you're in your inbox, right? It only took 30 seconds to send her the number she's asking for. But like you start seeing all these other shiny new unread messages that you want to go through. And next thing you're there for 20 minutes of that hour you carved out to work on the proposal. So it's better to say like, you know, okay, we'll get you soon, you know, if you need to respond or don't even have your inputs on, like if you've carved out an hour to work on something. 
And then get her the figures when you have a little batched time um, for, for answering that sort of thing. And then, you know, if you wind up in your inbox, it's not the end of the world because you weren't doing anything um, that was particularly high value or important at that point. So if you get pulled away, it's, it's, it's okay. Yeah, I, I tend to suffer from, you know, one of the um, offshoots of that is rabbit holing. And that tends to be something that I struggle with is that if I if I take time away from whatever it is I'm supposed to be doing to do this one little thing, then the next thing I know, I've gone down the rabbit hole and gone in a whole different direction. And I turn around, you know, an hour, maybe two later, and I'm like, wow, <laughs> I really lost complete track of what I was working yeah, on. Yeah. And this can happen in people's personal lives, too. I mean, I, I mean, people can be, you know, working at home and they're like, did I take the meat out of the freezer for dinner? And it's like, let me just go do <laughs> that and and then you're in your kitchen which guess what nobody put away the breakfast dishes and so you're like you're doing that and you're like wait that that mug is broken let me fix the handle <laughs> you know yes. it, it can take all morning and and you didn't need to go take the meat out right that minute like you could yeah. have written that down on a list to get to later and it's like if the meat was out for six hours versus seven hours that's really not that much different but you lost that concentrated time that you you probably could have used don't you find, Lauren, I know you do a lot of your work from a home office, just like I do. Don't you find that that tendency to do just what you said is, I mean, it's so intense when you're working from home because you're surrounded by these other parts of your life and it's all together, right? And so how do you, how do you avoid that? You can batch it, but, it, but do you have other tips and suggestions for how do you avoid sort of falling into that trap in the first place? Well, I mean, definitely you can lower your standards. Um, so like <laughs> that, that dishes in the sink is not a crisis. Um, the laundry right. still sitting there, not a crisis. Like if this is time you plan to work, this you're you're going to work. I mean, you wouldn't, you know, stop and probably clean the whole office kitchen or start collecting everyone's, you know, laundry from around the office and go do it. Like so, so you kind of have to have some of the same standards for for yourself during your work day at home. Um, and, and partly that's about managing the distractions as well. This is so much better now versus in the deep days of COVID when many people's right. children and partners and everyone else were also on top of them. Um, you know, thankfully, most kids are, are back in school at this point. So it's, it's reduced that somewhat. Um, but I think it's also about knowing what you intend to do. I think that we can be more motivated to stick with things and ignore distractions when we are very clear with our intentions that, you know, that this is my hour for this proposal, for this client that I really want to win. Like that's a more motivating thing than, ah, I have lots of stuff to do. It's <laughs> okay, well, you're gonna go get the meat out of the fridge because you don't care at this point. Um, and, and I think it's also a matter of managing your energy. Um, so do the tough stuff when you're best able to handle it, which for most people tends to be morning, and then build in conscious breaks during the day, um, you know, to boost your energy levels back up. So do something, physical at some point in the day, get your, your movement by 3 p.m. Um, do something social so you could call a friend or if your spouse is working from home or you know wherever you are, you can, you can do some little social break as well. Um, ideally, maybe another break could be something more inspirational. Listen to inspiring music, read something motivational or write in a journal or meditate or pray or anything along those lines um, could be maybe a third break to, to boost your energy levels during the day. But if you do that, it, it's slightly easier not to get distracted um, because a lot of the distractions are about our brain needs a break. 
And if you don't give it a real one, it'll take some other one. And it'll, it'll invent a reason. Like, oh, yeah, my colleague needs these figures right this minute. Or the meat needs to be out of the freezer. So, um, you know, it'll, it'll seize upon a convenient excuse. Um, but if you give it real breaks, then, then it's a little bit more willing to, to tolerate the slight discomfort of sitting with something for a while. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, you talk about in the book the importance of creating backup plans, like recognizing that life is not perfect and that you will be thrown a curveball and somebody will end up in the emergency room, God forbid. But it happens, right? Life happens. So maybe talk about best practices for creating those backup plans and sort of being kind to yourself as you think about the fact that your schedule is not going to be a perfect thing. It's a living document. Yeah. So one of the rules is to create a backup slot. And basically the idea that is anything that is important to you in life doesn't need just one spot. It needs an extra one. And it's the equivalent of a rain date. If you, people go to like graduations or you know, whatever in June, there's often a rain date, um, which is that you know, we recognize that things can go predictably wrong outside. It's like right there in the rain date name, right? Um, but you know, we're not asking, will it be rescheduled? We know it will be at a very specific time. And so you know not to put anything, you know, completely unmovable at that time because, you know, if it rains, that's where it's going. Um, and, and it's actually a very convenient concept. And I, I feel like we need more rain dates in life. Um, so, you know, if you have planned to have a sit down meeting with one of your direct reports that's really important, like, you know, your really long term career discussion with him. And of course, what's going to happen after you've carved out this time to do it? Probably your biggest client has some huge explosion that day and like everyone, all hands on deck, you have to deal with it. Well, if it was important, where's the backup slot for it? We plan to do it Tuesday afternoon, but just in case it's not happening, we're going to schedule it for reschedule it for first thing Wednesday. And you two both know that Wednesday is where we're rescheduling. So it's not a question of if it will get rescheduled. It's when, and you know the time. So both of you not know not to put anything immovable there. And it's very hard to do this. Mm -hmm. Like, I know everyone's mm -hmm. very, very busy. They're like, what? I need not just one hour for this thing. I need two <laughs> hours. Um, yes. In fact, if it's important to you, you do. Yeah. But one way that you can kind of get at this um, with, without, you know, making specific backup slots all over your schedule is to leave Fridays as open as possible. Mm -hmm. So don't schedule anything on Fridays. Yes, you can use it for your planning for the upcoming week. You can use it for your punch list time of your, your batching the little things. But don't put any meetings, any gatherings, anything that is schedule, you know, specific on Fridays, if at all possible. Because that way, when something happens earlier in the week, um, you have a spot to put all the stuff that got bumped. Mm -hmm. And you can do that and still take care of it that week without borrowing time from the next week, which will no doubt have crises of its own. Yeah. You talk about in the book how developing this as a practice can also lead to career resiliency. Maybe talk about why that's the case. Well, I think people need backup plans for everything in life. Um, just if, if this doesn't work out, what are you going to do? And I'm not saying you shouldn't be all in on your goals. It's just I think it's important to recognize that sometimes stuff doesn't happen. And, and sometimes it has nothing to do with you. Like the point of, build, of networking, it's not just like creating business cards, I mean, collecting business cards. You want to know that there are a certain number of people who have been like, yeah, if you're ever thinking of leaving your job, call me. I'd love to work with you. And so if something does happen in your job and you don't want to do it anymore, or you can't do it anymore, you've got options. Like you know to call those people and you figure out what your options are from there. Um, that is what 
having backup plans means. So, you know, it, it's we, we want to make sure we don't have all our eggs in one basket, that we have figured out if if life doesn't happen as we would like it to happen, what else is there? And And having those backup plans allows us to feel more calm and in control, even if we you know, know that life is ultimately unknowable um, because you know you'll probably be okay no matter what. Yeah, absolutely. And having that calmness and the impact that that has on our thinking, on our ability to manage ourselves, to really think clearly, I mean, is huge. It's really huge. Yeah, well, you just, um, I mean, you, you feel more confident and even able to take risks in your current right. position and less willing to put up with anything bad because right. you have options. I mean, it really is freedom, um, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Laura, maybe talk for just a second about how respondents responded to the survey questions, maybe the impact that uh, adhering to these these rules, these nine rules, has had on their lives, what you heard from them. Yeah, well, that was the really fun part of the survey. I mean, obviously, I asked people, you know, how they were spending their time and how they felt about their time, and they answered on one to seven point scales. But we, we had space for people to give qualitative responses as well. And a big chunk of the book is just people's quotes. Like, I feel more relaxed about my time. I felt, you know, this week went well, even though I'm incredibly busy at work, I felt like I got to everything I needed to and that made me feel very good. Um, I spent time with a friend this week and I didn't think that was gonna happen and now it did. Or this was the week where we actually did fun stuff. <laughs> you know, when people are planning in adventures or, you know, a person who, who started going to a weekly tennis game on, on Tuesday nights, you know, comes back saying that she's all aglow, right? Like it, it, these were the sort of things that I, I found from people. And you know, not everything worked for everyone. Um, I, there were people who couldn't do stuff for whatever reason or who objected to, to things that it didn't work. And, and I include some of that in the book as well. Um, but given that, you know, people did see a statistically significant increase in their overall time satisfaction, I feel like um, it's that's reflected in, in the qualitative responses as well, that people were telling me about how yeah. they were enjoying life more, that they yeah. were feeling less busy, yet still probably getting more done. And I think that's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. Were there any surprises? Anything that you heard from people that you were like, hey, I really didn't expect that? Well, I mean, I've been I've been teaching these rules for a long time, um, so I feel like I've gotten a lot of the objections <laughs> that you know people will come up with um, from from you know different times. I will say um, that one interesting thing that uh, people have um, people's intimate relations with their partners improved in in many cases, and that was not something I was sure people would share with me <laughs> in, the, in the responses. But in many cases, what was happening is that people were not just like collapsing on the couch after dinner until they were too tired to do anything else. They were actually thinking about how they wanted to spend their time. And when they rationally thought about how they wanted to spend their time, there were much better answers than watching TV for four hours until everyone is too tired to do anything else. Um, and so I think that was perhaps a surprising response, but I am thrilled. I am totally here for it. I love that. That's great. That's really great. Okay, Laura, because we focus on um, influence and how we can build and sustain influence in our lives, maybe talk about 
what this concept of influence means to you in your work. Yeah, that's actually a word I have been thinking about a lot this year. Um, as one of the words that was, you know, in my mind in terms of goals. Um, not because I want to be, you know, this stereotypical Instagram influencer, which I could never be in my wildest dreams, even if I tried. Like, I mean, I don't know, my, I'm kind of a mess in terms of hair, makeup, wardrobe, you know, getting my kids to all stare at the camera at the same time. <laughs> None of that is going to happen. So we're never going to be the Instagram influencer family and matching outfits doing cute things. But I do think that influence means being able to share powerful ideas with the world and see people actually change their lives as a result. And that is what I am going for. Like, I want people to come away from reading Tranquility by Tuesday feeling like I have the power to live the life I want, um, to actually enjoy day-to-day -day existence, even with all the crazy stuff going on around me. Uh, I don't need to wait for a calmer time in the future. I can have the life I want now. So that's what influence means to me. Yeah, I love that. Laura, it was such a pleasure. I'm so happy to see you again. I really love the book. We will include a link where listeners can purchase it. I'll also include a link to Laura's Time Makeover Guide, which I think is absolutely brilliant. It's very simple and straightforward. It's also free. You can download it right from her website, but I'll include a link in the show notes for this episode. Laura, thank you again. Really loved it. Thanks for having me. Hey friend, thanks so much for joining me for part two of my two-part Encore conversation with time management and productivity expert, Laura Vanderkam. I'd love to hear which parts of the conversation really resonated with you and any of Laura's tips that you're inclined to incorporate into your own time management processes. I'd love to hear that as well. You can send me a message via the show notes, use the contact me link, you can email me directly at info at she said dot media, or you can take a screenshot and message me directly on social media. You'll find me on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at Laura Cox Kaplan. Until next time, friend, thanks so much for joining me and I'll talk to you again real soon. She Said, She Said podcast is produced weekly by She Said, She Said Media.